As a period of practice proceeds, the energy of your practice, whether you are a beginner or a long-time practitioner, is likely to become more concentrated. If we are attending with awareness to the practice, and this is very helpful, clarity arises, wisdom, compassion, sometimes insight, But if we let the mind wander, that concentrated energy can erupt into habitual patterns, reactive emotions, delusion, anger, jealousy, greed, pride. So the deeper we wade into the pond of practice, the more responsibility we have towards other students in the mandala, towards each other, to be careful with our energy. Someone asked in the question period today, essentially, who do I trust in practice? How do I know? And sometimes on retreat, this question comes up because we are at the edge of our practice working with fear or growth. So there's a saying in the teachings, do not rely on the human individual. Rely on the teachings. The human individual is a precious and important conduit for the Dharma. But it is the Dharma itself that will lead you to awakening. The next line of this Advice says, do not rely on the words, rely on the meaning. Dharma is very old. 
Fortunately, the meaning of dharma, at least as I have seen it, is a set of practices for awakening. And nowhere in there is implied belief, fixed beliefs. The words have changed over the centuries and in the different cultures in which the Dharma has taken root, and it should. Robert Thurman said once, there's no Buddhism that belongs to a certain people. Buddhism is the response to awakened beings to the wish of unawakened beings to wake up. It's the response of awakened beings to the wish of unawakened beings to awaken. In other words, it's a living, breathing tradition. And then the Next line says, do not rely on the apparent meaning, rely on the real meaning. Every teaching in the Dharma has many different levels of meaning. In the Tibetan system we say there is the outer meaning and the inner meaning and the secret meaning and the ultimate meaning. Outer meaning, just the obvious. You make an offering, you put candle on the shrine. Inner meaning, what is that? What is happening there? What are you really doing? The secret and ultimate meanings have to do with the understanding of dharma, which comes about only through practice. So your dharma will be different because you are unique. And then the last line of this quatrain is, do not rely on ordinary consciousness, rely on pristine awareness. So here we receive the advice, the clarity of advice on what to trust. Ordinary consciousness, which is subject to subject-object dualism, will express through the lens of culture and time, all of those constructs. But pristine awareness is truth arising. Pristine awareness is the unshakable knowing, indescribable knowing 
the certainty that arises from direct experience of wisdom. So the question what to trust is often asked and very good question. I hope that you will trust your experience and I hope that your own experience will be a living, growing, deepening thing. We will proceed now before any liturgy with contemplation of precious human birth. It's the first of the four preliminaries. Not every human birth is precious. Precious means you encountered the Dharma. And there are long lists of things that have to be there. You have ears to hear and eyes to see, intellect to understand. You live in a place where it is not so conflicted that you are in danger for practicing and so on and so on. So contemplate just for five minutes now. How is your current human birth fortunate? And stretch your mind a little. If it seems unfortunate in some aspect or many aspects, examine carefully your relationship to those. Sometimes we find our obstacles are in the end our blessings. Precious human birth.
Releasing that contemplation and resting momentarily in open space. The second of the four thoughts which turn the mind to dharma is impermanence. Part of the reason precious human birth is precious. Part of the reason anything is precious is that it's transient. We say sometimes, although death is certain, the hour and the method of my death cannot be known. You can contemplate for a moment, go backwards through your day and ask yourself, doing that thing, could have been the cause of the end of my life, the end of my practice for now, and just go backwards through your day and notice how uncertain continuing is. Resting in space, allowing the contemplation to go.
The third thought to turn the mind toward dharma is karma. Since we are dominantly a theistic tradition, karma often gets translated in popular culture as punishment or comeuppance. I think of karma as evolution. If you steal something, maybe no one steals your things back. Maybe you get away with it, and maybe you like having things that you couldn't come by honestly. And so you look for something else to steal, and you discover you are quite good at stealing and not getting caught. And you learn to steal not only material things, but people's sense of safety and confidence. And stealing becomes so much a part of your being that you are always afraid that someone is going to steal things that are valuable to you. Your stuff, your relationships, your reputation. And finally, you are magnetized to be with people who steal And you live in fear that someone will be better than you at that. I think karma is like that. What you plant, you reap. The Tibetans say if you plant buckwheat, you will not get corn. But also what you don't plant, you cannot harvest. Letting that contemplation dissolve. The fourth thought to turn the mind to Dharma is the faults of samsara. I once sat in this very room 
and heard a teaching from a Theravadan Dharma brother. And he said, you know that shopping cart, that one where you get your groceries? And it kind of works. You go to the end of the aisle and it's pretty good and then the wheels lock up and you kind of push it out of that mode and it goes again and then the wheels lock up Samsara is not a world or a place. It is a kind of relationship with experience, isn't it? Where we cultivate a reliance on things that cannot reliably satisfy. So contemplate what it is that you sometimes rely upon which is not really capable of satisfying you or happiness or safety. And let that contemplation rest. If you go to a Tibetan teacher and you say, I have no interest anymore in practicing, I can't seem to get inspired. They will almost always say, have you been skipping the contemplations on the four thoughts that turn the mind? And now remembering that one of the aims of meditation is to rest in awareness. And notice precisely 
your experience as it arises without subtracting or adding anything. Try to catch that experience fresh in the moment it first arises in your awareness.